before we get into the episode, head on over to RighteousFelon.com for all your favorite beef jerky flavors. I'd recommend starting off with the whole shebang craft jerky gift bundle. The jerky is smoky and savory, spicy and sweet. All of your favorites, all in one variety pack. Use promo code OCSN, all lowercase, to get 15% off at checkout. Don't miss this great opportunity. Go to RighteousFelon.com today. You're as cold as ice. You're willing to sacrifice our love. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Ice Cold Takes podcast. I'm your host, Joey DiMeglio, and this week I'm joined by the creator of the All Three Zones website, Corey Snyder. If you're a fan of analytics, you've come to the right place because that's what this episode will be all about. I myself am still new to all of this, so I'm excited to learn more and see how it applies to the Rangers this season. Corey, thanks for joining me. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. No, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. You know, the analytics conversation, I've seen it a lot on Twitter. You know, people say, oh, the charts don't matter. Go watch the games instead. And then there's people that only post the charts. But I think I think there's something there of substance, and I want to learn more about it. Uh, there's a lot of confusing stuff, so I'm going to pick your brain a lot if that's okay with you. Yeah, that's totally fine. Yeah, I, every time I get Drew Way on, he, I, I do that. I do that pretty often because I'm I'm fascinated by uh, what's going on with that kind of stuff, especially like the game scores and how the the eye test kind of like reinforces the the analytics. But I guess to start, uh, you're a Hurricanes fan. I'm a Rangers fan. Let's talk a bit about that second round uh, playoff matchup in uh, last year's playoffs. You know, was that a shock to you that the Rangers came out on top? Uh, no, not really. Just because of how Carolina played in the Boston series, they, they had to struggle and scratch and claw through that, through that one. And like, historically, the Rangers have always been kind of a tough matchup for Carolina. Not so much last year. They beat them twice at MSG. So I thought, okay, maybe this is the year they kind of get over those demons. And, but I don't know when I saw how the first game went, they didn't really they didn't really control play as well as they could. The Rangers third line, the uh, the uh, Heatle line kind of just ran over their depth players. So I thought, OK, this is going to be more of a grind than I thought. And they just got absolutely nuked on special teams. So I like I was I, I was a little surprised, but not like shocked by it, because I think the. I don't know Carolina wasn't playing their best hockey in the playoffs at all. And I just, uh, when the Rangers are playing at their best, they can absolutely beat Carolina in seven games. And that's what happened. Game seven, they just got, they got blown out of the building early. Yeah. It, that series was very interesting because it was the home team that won every single game up until game seven. So, you know, the, the last change had a, or the, the first change had the, uh, had a big impact on the series in terms of, of matchups on the ice, the Banerjee versus, I guess, the stall line, right? And then mm-hmm. Trocek was out there too. Uh, Carolina seems, in the games they won, they always it seemed like they were just dominating possession, and it was very frustrating as a fan because it was just the only opportunity the Rangers could get was like just a shot, one measly shot, like off the rush or you know a dump and chase, like one turnover. But the losses the Rangers had kind of dominated by by Carolina and that's that's what I saw from last year like during the regular season and even going back to like the playing round the bubble like Carolina's really good team like I, I love some of the players they got on there like especially Cobb the Beast Marty Natchez looks like he's going to be a good player 
Yeah, he was the guy that really struggled in that series, too. And I did not think he was going to be on the team this year. I thought they might trade him just because he was an RFA and they weren't entirely sure. Like, I wasn't entirely sure if he was going to be like a part of the team long term just because he's kind of stuck in that. He was kind of stuck in that area where it's like, you don't know if he's a star or if he's just a very good middle six player. And those are the toughest guys like to pay, especially for a team like Carolina that wants to lock up their core long term. And he just came out of this year all guns a blazing. And it looks like it was a good decision to keep him because he, I think he, that line with Kokoniemi and Spechnikov is responsible for like half of their goals. So good decision to keep him so far. Yeah, so far so good for Marty Natchez on a heater to start the year. Uh, but shifting over to talk a little bit about you and the website, all three zones. How did all of that start? You started, what, 2016, right? Doing tracking yeah. all that? Yeah, this little project started in 2016, but I've been doing this <laughs> since like 2000, 2012 or so. Just the whole uh, sure. microstat tracking, just because, um, like, it's how I how I view the game is I like kind of combing over the details of it because, like, as far as like my test goes, I don't catch everything. So, kind of going back and looking at some of the details of the game, tracking some of the stats that I think are important. That's just how I kind of learned the game better. And um, it was something I was doing for my Hurricanes blog shutdown line back in 2011. And this was only just scoring chances, just who got a scoring chance, who was on ice for scoring chance, and who set them up. It was pretty basic. But then, like, Eric Tulski started tracking zone entries, and a bunch of other bloggers were tracking zone exits. So I started weaving that into my analysis. And a lot of people... A lot of uh, people from other teams or a lot of fans from other teams were like, you know, I wish we had this for our team. It's like they were just saying they liked reading my blog just because they had all these like extra stats and all these like details about the game, about their team. So I tried doing it for the entire league in 2013 and uh, it had a lot more success than I thought. It was uh, just zone entries and zone exits that I was tracking, but it really took off then. And um, I had a consulting gig um, with an NHL team for a couple of years and going back into the public sphere, I started doing this for the entire league again. So you actually watch the games and count like from your eyes, how many times like, you know, a player crosses, crosses the attacking zone, right? Like for the zone entries, you do that all yourself. That's all like manual. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I do. And, uh, like, it's not as like, it's not as like, uh, black and white is that because like i do track just because i do track whether it's like uh whether like it was carried in dumped in i don't track line changes if there's just the doldrums of the game if it's like five nothing i don't really put a lot of i don't really track that right just because like i have a lot of work to do a lot of data to do i'm not going to track blowouts like when the game is basically over but yeah i do but I do track those manually. And like, as, as like the more time I've done this, the more kind of streamlined I've made the process. Like what I do now is I load the shots beforehand, like the play-by-play sheets, just to get an idea of how the game is going. And I get like, uh, I just get an idea of where the most of the action is, where the scoring chances happen, where there's like a lull in the action that I can kind of skip over. So that's really made my whole process quicker. This, these past couple of years. I see. So, you went with zone entries, you take into account whether they dump the puck in or cross the blue line with possession of the puck, and then exits if they carry it out or pass it to a teammate, right? Uh, 
Yeah, that's how I used yeah. to track X. It's a, it's a little different now. Now I'm tracking if the defenseman successfully like retrieves the puck in the defensive zone or gets knocked off of it and whether that leads to an exit just because um, when I was tracking exits before I was tracking a lot of like, I was tracking a lot of noise because there's a lot of times where there a defenseman just skates the puck out uncontested. And there's not really any reason to track that because like, I don't know, taking five strides with the puck and getting out of the, and just crossing your own blue line. Like, I don't really think that's a skill. Like, and almost anybody can do that. Mm-hmm. Whereas like, if you have to beat a four check, I think that tells you a lot more about how good a defenseman is and how good teams are. Right. It provides significance for the, for the stat. I see what you're saying. And what, what other stats do you, do you, do you track? Um, well, with the shot and passing data that I track, so I track, mm-hmm. So like I track the shots and who set up the and who set up the shots. I also track like the uh, area they come from, whether it's from the right side, the neutral zone, defensive zone, and I also track whether it came off the rush, the cycle, or the forecheck, just to see how teams attack, where they're getting most of their goals, where they're getting most of their offense, whether they're like reliant on the rush, or if they're a good forechecking team, because I think that is a pretty big factor, especially in the playoffs. So it's a lot of. So like the past two years or so, I've had a lot more contextual data on top of like the basic stuff that I've been tracking for years. And I think it's, uh, it's come a long way. It's like, I have player cards now that give you all this data about like what a player is good at, but they struggle with. And, uh, I also track entry defense. That's something I've always tracked in the past couple of years. I've added whether or not they've allowed a defenseman allows a scoring chance when they're, when a team enters the zone against them. And I've also added four checking data just to see how often a player disrupts a zone exit, which it's also something I feel like that matters more in the playoffs than the regular season. Cause there's a lot of during the regular season, you have a lot more lulls in the action and a lot of like uh, plays where teams just peel off. Whereas like in the playoffs, there's a lot more, the intensity is up a lot more um, botched breakouts and stuff matter a lot more botched retrievals matter a lot more and the four check pressure a lot um, the forecheck pressure definitely adds to that. So I look at which players are succeeding in that. That's something that the uh, guys Colorado added at the deadline do very well, like Arturi Lekanen. So who else like kind of like stands out from, from like your, from what you've tracked, you mentioned Lekanen, but who else? Um, a lot of those Tampa Bay guys do, especially like, uh, that's something that like Alex Kalorn has always been really good at. Yanni Gord has been a guy that's Yanni Gord. That's a guy that's always been really good at this, mm-hmm. even after he got traded to Seattle. And he's more of, he's more of a guy there than just a depth player, but he's still like a lot of the, he's still like kind of is the catalyst for a lot of their offense just because of where their team talent is. But it's because he's so good at retrieving the puck, getting it back and kind of setting up the offense from there. And uh, it's always, that's where it's kind of frustrating. Like, when you go from like the analyst or you go from like the analyst point of view to like the coach's point of view, because it's like a guy like Yanni Gord, you always want on your team. But if you're like the front office, it's like, do you want Yanni Gord on your team for seven years at $5 million? So then it becomes kind of a tricky when you have to pay like six other guys, then it becomes kind of trickier to kind of integrate the two into there. I mean, you have to integrate the two sides into that, but yeah, a lot of those Tampa Bay guys have always really stood out especially in four checking yeah so you brought up like gord's contract and that was interesting so the couple years ago when when tampa bay lost that entire third line coleman gordon and goudreau 
uh, you think Gord was like the play driver on that line, right? So compared to his value, like where do like Coleman and Goudreau uh, stand in terms of like their their value to a team, especially Goudreau because he plays for the Rangers? Yeah, it's interesting because uh, they all all three of them do different things. Like Yanni Gord does a lot more with the puck. Like mostly because he plays center, he's the one going back in and out of the zone, and the one that's uh, setting up most of the plays and getting a lot of those dirty the uh, dirty goals. But they each kind of do different things. Like Blake Coleman's always been one of the best four checkers in the league too, but he's very good off the rush. That's uh, it. Kind of adds a different element to his game. Like even in New Jersey, he was really good at creating off the rush. It's just a matter of he's not like the most skilled player. He can't finish as much. Whereas like Barclay Goudreau was more kind of just the high, well, he was kind of doing the basic things. He was either a high forward or kind of just the one going out to just going in to get the puck. But he had like the, he had probably the lowest role with the puck out of those three. Like it's not really a knock on him. It's more just like the other two are better. So yeah, of course they're going to be the ones leading Mm -hmm. the charge there, but he had more of kind of an ancillary role compared to the other two. Like more of a, Mm -hmm. he did more of the basics than, the other two who had more of a skill that's tougher to find. Yeah. And I think the, the value of the analytics is kind of like paying off because, you know, Gord got a huge contract with, with Seattle. And uh, I think, I think a lot of Rangers fans in, in years past, myself included, have wanted like a Gord for, to be like a third or a second line center for the team. It's just impossible because of like the, the contract. And, you know, there's a lot of issues with the salary cap. Uh, my next question was, uh, does your site track like expected goals for and against that kind of thing? Or do uh, you- I don't do that mostly because I'm not a, I'm more of just like the watch the tape and track data type of mindset than like the math mindset. Mm-hmm. That's just how I've always learned. And uh, that and there's like three other sites that do expected goals already. So I don't really want to add to the whole noise there. And I like using my, I like using my data as like a complement to the other sites just to kind of explain what's happening just because mm-hmm. that's how, that's how I've always learned. So expect, just, would you say like expected goals for and against are not the most accurate in terms of like describing how good a player is or isn't? Um, I, it's less that they're accurate and more if it's just like, if you tell me that say like, okay, Chris Kreider has an expected goals for 44. It just doesn't really tell, it doesn't help me a lot as a fan. You're just telling me a player is bad and he has a high shooting percentage. And I don't know, it doesn't really, I don't know. I feel like sometimes it kind of gets lost, but that's also just kind of the nature of the beast when you're, uh, especially on social media where you just post one thing and you kind of expect it to have, people can take it like five or six different ways when there's a lot of things that happen in the game and a lot of things that a player does like that can fill a certain role or do a certain thing that helps your team more than just like they're creating this much they're then like their team is controlling like 45% of the expected goals when they're on the ice. So I think it does. I think it's definitely accurate, but you're also counting. It's you're also looking at what happens when they're on the ice and it's based off play by play data, which sometimes it can be messy, but across the league, it's not, I feel like the differences are a little like negligible just because just because it's so small across the league. There's a few things here and there. Although the more I've been tracking data, the more I've been finding just like shots that don't exist and rebounds that are overcounted across the league. So mm-hmm. I, I do think that kind of cancels itself out over time. But I also think like 
like it tells you what's happening once when a player is on the ice, but it doesn't really tell you everything about a player exactly. Because like what his line mates do matters, what situation he's in matters, the score matters too. But but yeah, like what I do, I feel like it just helps a fan like me more that mm-hmm. wants to like know exactly like what is happening when it's like what's happening during the game. Cause like zone entries kind of feed into that with zone entries feed into that. Cause it tells you like the flow of the game because the team that ent- that's entering the zone more like they're on the attack more they're And especially if they're carrying the puck in more, they're coming at you with speed a lot more. So that tells you they're kind of controlling the play, but if they're not scoring goals, it's telling you the other team might be defending more or getting good goaltending. So I just feel like it helps me more as an analyst and as a fan, because that's just how I've always learned, like just from practical events. Mm-hmm. And there's other there's other stats that that are that you could track to to get a, a good understanding of a player. And, you know, sometimes I guess transitioning to our next topic, like about the eye test versus the analytics. Sometimes I feel like there's a disconnect between between the two. And as an example, the Capo Caco, I thought has, I think he's looked great so far to start the season. Uh, and the very first game, I thought he was outstanding. When I checked natural stat trick after the the first game, his uh, goals for percentage was was like less than fifty percent. It was less than it was uh, worst second worst on the team. So I I was just like confused. Like, can you ex- talk about that? Like, what what else can you look at as a fan or as an analyst to see which analytics stand out more than the others? Yeah, like with one game, you're gonna get especially a bunch of noisy data because when you think of how many shots a player is on the ice for the game, it's like it's like 20 tops. So it's like mm-hmm. 10, 10 his way, 10 the other way, five his way, 15, 15 the other way. And with expected goals, the sample size is even smaller because like the there's only maybe three total expected, like the, the expected goal total is maybe like 3.5 per game total. So when you nail it down to that much, you're going to get a lot of noisy data in a one game sample that doesn't always like capture everything. Right. Cause there might be a shift where say Kako is like digging the puck out, creating a lot of zone time, but not getting any shots. So he doesn't get any credit like on the score sheet. So, and it's also like, sometimes a player might have a, like an expected goal of like, say 0.58 and expected goal against of like 0.79. And it's not going to look great on, it's not going to look great in terms of percentages, but it's also kind of, you're talking like a difference of like one or 2% Mm -hmm. at the end of the day. So it doesn't really, so like one game, you're going to get a little like murkier stats. Whereas like with micro stats, there's a lot more that goes into it. There's a lot more data that goes into it. Exactly. Like you have zone entries, you have zone exits, forecheck pressures, passes, just all of these things that kind of go into the equation and you can kind of nail into you can kind of get into like what exactly he did in all of his shifts. Like you can find like passes that he set up plays that may have, he could have set up or just weren't there plays that he missed on plays that got screwed over by a teammate missing the shot or just going over his stick or something like that. So like with the data I track, there's a lot more you can look at, which can kind of get messy sometimes because you can kind of get look, you kind of like, get lost uh, looking at the details and not and missing the big picture, but we're so early in the season now yeah. that I think that I think uh, looking at the details is kind of what you're stuck with until you get to like game 20. 
Right. So it's hard to look at it, especially for what you're saying. It's hard to look at that kind of stuff just for one game. So don't jump to conclusions as a, as a fan, uh, I, would, I would say, uh, just hearing your explanation on that. And then also logging, I guess, the amount of time you spend in the offensive zone is probably uh, you know, a big contributor to, towards like the analytics. Like you said, if you have more zone entries, if you, you know, successful zone entries, that is. I think last year the Rangers were like middle of the pack or towards the bottom and, and like zone entries, the successful ones. Uh, you could correct me on that. But I remember it was like something about dumping and chasing. They did it so much more than the average team. Is, has there been a change so far this year? I know it's only been like, like less than 10 games, but uh, I, I feel like as a fan, I've noticed a lot, a lot of times like they're carrying it in a little bit more often than, uh, than they were last year. Can you comment on that? Um, I can pull up my numbers quickly because I've tracked, uh, I've tracked everything except the last, the last two games. I haven't done the Islanders game yet. But I've watched a lot of the games that I've watched most of the games that they won, and they looked good in those games for the most part. Oh uh, yeah, the v- very beginning of the season, I think uh, I was oh, yeah. expecting to see more of that. Like through the first two games of that Minnesota game, they completely dominated that game. Yeah, even, even the- against Winnipeg when they lost that game, that was <laughs> that was going back and forth like crazy. <laughs> like mm-hmm. they were like they created a ton of offense in that game. But yeah, I'm actually looking at it now, and they're carrying the puck in 53.4% of the time, which is very good. Okay. Like that would, yeah. a few years ago, that'd be like among the best in the league. Now it's like in the top 10, which like we're still working with small sample sizes, but going back to last year, like uh, the league is getting more skilled now. Fourth lines don't always dump the puck in. Now defensemen carry the puck in more than they used to. So I think you're seeing kind of a rise in the, you're seeing a rise in like how often teams are carrying the puck in it's been a slow slow like uh climb to that though but yeah the rangers have been pretty good carrying the puck in the games i've done at least but last year it was interesting because when they scored they always carried the puck in they were very good at counterattacking and kind of getting that quick strike offense Mm -hmm. but when they dumped the puck in they didn't create a lot i don't know if that was by i don't know if that was by design because just from watching them last year, like I kind of made a focus to watch a lot more, just to watch them a lot more, just to see what exactly was going on. Cause there was like a huge disconnect in their own ice results and their, uh, their underlying stats. <laughs> but like from what I saw exact from what I saw was that the Rangers, they got a lot of early leagues and they, and they kind of just parked it after that. They had a lot of shifts where just nothing happened. And I think that mm-hmm. was kind of designed by Gallant and, it got better after the trade deadline when they got Andrew Kopp and Tyler Mott just because those guys can play that grinding style better than some of the other guys they were playing early in the year. Like the, they had a lot of AHLers in their, in their bottom six early in the season. But this year, it seems like, there's a, it seems like they're uh, playing with a lot more pace and a lot more skill now. And it's actually... So uh, one of the newer stats that I've been tracking is how often a team gets a scoring chance off a zone entry. So I feel like this is something just because I feel like that's something that can tell you how the major plays in the game go. Because a lot of goals, if they're happening off carry-ins, they're happening off the rush nowadays. And they're happening very quick too. So um with uh so with that, you can look at how exactly like the pace of the game is going. And even by that last year, the Rangers weren't great, but that's just because they had a lot of shifts where nothing happened. It's like 
they would get those carry-ins, but they would score on them, but there would only be like 10 or 15 of them per game, and they would score on three of them, which, I mean, which and nowadays, especially when you have Shesterkin, that's enough to get by. Mm-hmm. It's just very tough to repeat. Right, that, that kind of success isn't sustainable. But what you're saying about the zone entries and the scoring chances off those those entries, is that like immediate, or is that just scoring chances off the zone entry period? Like whether they off- cycle it or if they just charge the net and and get a get a, like a cross creaser or something like that it's off both when i first started doing this it was a lot of uh i was testing like how often just how successful carry-ins are in terms of creating scoring chances and how often teams kind of wasted those so i was looking at whether or not they cycled it whether or not they kind of they kind of like skated it to the corner and and kind of created off that and I was also looking at just the success of like dump and chase too, like how up, just how good teams are kind of creating chances off four checks. And uh, this year, I've this year I've added a new wrinkle. I'm looking at like how often a chance starts in the defensive zone, how often it starts off a neutral zone regroup, how often it starts off a cycle. So that's going to be something I'm looking at a lot more in depth this year. And that's how, how that's often those real. Go ahead those real quick strike plays happen. And so those are represented in what, like, like a, a table or, or a bar graph. How is that for, for those that haven't seen your, the, the way you, you publish your data. So, how... pers- so personally, I like doing scatter plots to kind of look at. So basically you look at how each team compares to the league average offensively and defensively. And uh, you kind of get, you get a, like a parameter of where they are in both areas of the game, both in creating and preventing. And that's just the way I've kind of, that's the way I've learned best because you also look at how close teams are to the league average. And there's a lot that are very close, very close together. And there's like maybe one or two that are up, like just killing it compared to the rest of the league. And there's a lot more that are, it's interesting because with this, there's a lot more teams that are on the bad quadrant than there are good. So it seems like if you're, so, like, if you're a team that just excels in transition, seems like you're always kind of just running away with the rest of the league. Like, Colorado has always been good at this. Tampa Bay has always been very good at it. Florida was one of the best in the league last year. It didn't work out for them in the playoffs, obviously. Mm-hmm. But they they set, like, a record in terms of points in the regular season. So, it did work then. Yeah, right. So, you could, the, through the scatter plot, you could kind of see where your team is at and compared to the to the rest of the league in that in that department. Uh but shifting back a little bit more, um, talking about just the eye test versus the analytics as a whole, should they reinforce each other or do they reinforce each other in your eyes? I mean, you're watching the game, so you're uh, getting this data like from, from yourself. I know there's uh, there's uh, like the venue adjusted uh, thing, so I was going to ask you about that as well after. But let's talk a little bit about you know that whole debate, like. I know it matters, the analytics. Yes, you shouldn't discredit it at all. I think you should consider it. But for someone that doesn't follow the charts, what would you say to them? So, I mean, it's to me, it goes back to whether or not you're just like a fan or you're like an analyst or something. Like, it depends on how you enjoy the game, to me, at least. Because if you're a fan that does not care about like stats at all, that's fine. <laughs> like, I think that's something a lot of, people in the community kind of struggle with but you're also but i also get it just because you're if you're presenting stuff out there and you're on twitter it's like you assume that your audience kind of subscribes to like the same viewpoints as you 
and uses this data. But p me personally, like they do obviously go hand in hand, but the stats to me say like, if somebody posts a chart that says like, hey, the Rangers are very good or they're very bad, it's like, okay, they're saying this is happening. So for me as an analyst, I'm like, okay, why is it happening? What are they doing to like have to like make these results happen? And uh, that's where like the microstat tracking and digging into the film kind of goes. And there's also other people like Jack Hahn and others who kind of dig into the systematic play of teams who are more of like of the coaching background. And that's kind of, so like all these things kind of work together to tell you what, but also there's all, there's also just the, there's also just like the mindset of like, you have to like use one or the other or think a certain way to kind of be a hockey fan. It seems like these days. And that's just not the case. Right. Cause like, if somebody does not care like about stats at all, that's fine. And I think that's something a lot of people like in my community kind of struggle to accept. Cause like, if I'm especially like the Rangers last year, it's like, you just got out of a rebuild and you're having all this success like you're having all the success, you're winning a lot of games in the regular season. Some guy just comes online and says, Hey, don't be happy about it because you're giving up 45 shots a game and your goaltender's playing on his head. It's like, I don't know, as a fan, I'm gonna be like, Okay, right? Yeah, like I just kind of see it like because, like, I'm a football fan too, and I don't follow a lot of like, I don't follow a lot of like the uh stats in there, but if somebody tells me that, like, Somebody is telling me like, oh, yeah, the Bengals run last year, totally smoking mirrors. Like, I'm going to tell them, yeah, I kind of knew that just because they were one in 14 the previous year. Of course, I know they're not going to be great and that they had a lot of things go their way. But I'm not going to like, I don't know, throw a fit over it. <laughs> I like that you bring up the fans perspective, too, like because, yeah, that's how that's exactly how a lot of us felt. You know, it was it felt good to win a lot of games, but at the same time. You know, you think about the events that played out in all those games that we won, especially towards the beginning of the year when 5v5 play was basically non-existent. Um, and Shesterkin just standing on his head was lit an actual brick wall behind behind there. The reason why he won Vezina and was considered heart trophy, a heart trophy candidate uh, last year. But then, like, the factor in the analytics, you know, you want to dominate play. Like, I want to be my team. I want my team to be like Colorado. Like, I want to be in on every four check like i want my players skating as hard as they can like getting opportunity after opportunity that's what excites me as a fan and i hope one day that maybe the rangers can realize this because they do have a lot of a skill and talent and do you think uh them injecting like lafreniere kako into the top six finally has allowed them to you know carry that uh zone entry percentage by carrying it up to like what was it 53 percent? you said yeah yeah, so do you mm -hmm. think putting those two players in the spots that, that they need to be playing in is contributing to that, or is that just a whole complete overhaul of the offensive system that Gallant is putting in, in place? Yeah, I think a lot of their young players are starting to kind of come into their own there, and I also think adding Trocek helps because Trocek, in Carolina at least, he was... So Carolina is a very forecheck heavy team, but he was one of the few that actually was allowed to kind of skate the puck into the zone a lot more. And what he did a lot more was kind of create off cycles. But he also, I think he's been playing with Panarin a lot early in the season too. And yep. he, from what I saw, he differs to Panarin a lot just because that's what that's what you do if like you have if you're a hockey player with a working brain cell, you defer <laughs> to the best guy on the ice. Yeah. But Panarin usually leads a lot of their offense in this. But um, 
I feel like Heedle's also kind of taken a step forward there. He's always been a really strong player on zone entries. And this year, oh, yeah. he's barely dumping the puck in at all, which I think is a good sign if you're a Rangers fan, because <laughs> that gives you kind of a, that gives you a good, uh, it gives you like a good uh, depth piece there. And I think having depth players who can do that goes a long way and goes a long way for you because um, I don't know where Heedle is in the lineup exactly, but if he's playing third line minutes, he's out against third line players and depth defensemen. And a lot mm-hmm. of those guys struggle to handle speed. So that, so that adds like a new wrinkle, but uh, it's interesting because I'm looking over their numbers now and Kako's actually dumping the puck in a lot more, but from what I've seen of, him too is that he creates a lot off the forecheck and he's very good in the corner so I think that might be him kind of playing to his strengths but I think also it's the Rangers have always been just a weird team in this even going back to when Quinn was there because a lot of it revolves around Panarin and everybody else kind of play it's like Panarin's allowed to do what he does and everybody else it's like north north south yeah north south hockey this year I feel it might be more of the same but it might be a little more speed focused and it's interesting like one thing the new thing that i'm tracking this year with uh like where chances come from like defensive zone neutral zone counterattacks, and all that i think this might tell me a lot about the rangers because they're from what i saw they're controlling play a little better than they were this year but i do wonder if that might have an effect on how they play because they scored so much off the counter last year so it's like um, the problem with counters is you have to survive a defensive zone breakdown or a defensive zone sequence in order to get them. And um, they're regrouping a lot this year, and it's tougher to score off of those if you're so used to just catching a defense off guard. Because if you're regrouping, that means the other team has time to get set up. At least that's what I saw when they were playing the Sharks last week. Like they were peeling back a lot after they cleared the zone, they weren't attacking. So I do wonder if this is kind of a new thing that they're going to get used to and they'll get better at over the season or if it's, or if they're going to revert to how they played last year where it's like they have to kind of catch a defense off guard and have a guy streaking the zone or catch a defenseman falling down to create their offense. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. 
There's that, that game against the Sharks is the first of four consecutive losses now for the Rangers at the time of this recording. Uh, this is Thursday, so the episode goes out on Saturday, of course. But, uh, you know, a lot of people kind of flipping out that the, the Rangers are getting lots of shots in, the, in their games. This is the most I've seen the team shoot since I've started watching in 2010. It doesn't matter who the coach was. Like, you know, they just had peppered Sorokin with 41 shots, and he stopped them all against the Islanders on uh, on Wednesday night. Um, Georgiev stood on his head again, or, or not again, but like for the first time against the Rangers in his return to the Garden on, on Tuesday night. They lost in a shootout. Uh, is this like, you know, and the Rangers haven't scored on the power play either too, so maybe that's kind of the reason why there's a discrepancy in the data because they always relied on Kreider to score those tipping goals with, what, 26 power play goals last year. So um, I'm just wondering, like, does there come a point in time where, you know, the chances become more than chances and then they become goals? Like, when does when does that, like, does that data, like, kind of correlate? Does it hint at when uh, a surge in goals is going to break out or when it's going to not happen? Usually, yes. Like, Colorado went through similar struggles earlier last year, and they're doing it again this year. They, Colorado's actually near the bottom of the league in five-on-five goals, despite creating as much offense as they do. But usually there's a point where things regress towards where the team's talent level is. Like with a team like Carolina, we've seen this for years. They're a team that just piled up shots forever, but they also took a lot of point shots. They relied on deflections, a lot of rebounds, a lot of scrambles, and their skill level wasn't that great. So their expected shooting percentage is lower than the league average, where the Rangers, they were the opposite for the longest time. They got few shots, but the shots they did get, they scored on. And this always year, passing, right? Yeah, like that's the the Ranger. It was more of a thing under Quinn than uh, Gallant. Quinn was a very big wait for the high danger pass to open up and then shoot, which like limit, which kind of limited their overall offense. But this year, they're getting more shot volume, which might have an effect on how many goals you expect from them. Just because you take more shots, you're not going to score on ten percent of them like they were last year. It might be more like eight percent. So it might be so. They're, the goals will come, but it might be a lower total than last year, especially with Kreider, because like the thing with tip-in chances and rebounds is that they're high-quality shots, but there's like a 50% chance of whether or not they even hit the net. So it's very feast or famine with a guy like him. But they also have Artemi Panarin, and Panarin historically has been one of the best, arguably the, the best passer in the league, the best guy at improving shot quality for like any team he's been on, like even Columbus. So I I would expect that to improve. I do wonder like what the cap is though, especially as guys like Lafreniere and Kako kind of we kind of figure out what they are exactly as pros. Right. So and also Kako Lafreniere, I gotta ask you about this. Is are are, are they busts or is it still still, you know, wait and see. You gotta see how this year plays out for you. I'm giving them this year because last year, like last year was such a weird year for Lafreniere because he did a lot of good things in the defensive zone to get the puck out. But like any non, any non Zibanejad Panarin Ranger was in the toilet in terms of like shot volume and passing and just overall offense. And he fell into that class and, but in the playoffs, it looked like he really came into his own, Mm -hmm. especially like he, he was on a line with Heedle. They got a chance to kind of play their game a lot more striking in transition they played a lot more in the offensive zone too so 
I do want to see if that kind of stays that if that kind of stays consistent for the entire season with Kako, I think, I think his ceiling might be a little lower. He might just be like a, a shot volume type of player scores a lot of dirty goals rather than like the high end, like game breaker that he might've been projected to be Lafreniere. I'm not entirely sure about yet, just because he was stuck in kind of a weird role last year. And he's been very, I don't know. I th- I think we kind of expect these kids to develop like their McDavid and Hughes, right. and that's just not the norm. So if uh, so, I think maybe they'll have a different. I think they'll have a different career trajectory than a lot of other prospects. But it's also like what you. It de- it depends on what your definition of is is of a bust too, because if Kako is say a very good second line forward, is that a bust or is I that would... just a disappointment? No. No, I just, by a bust, I mean, like, I think people consider, are looking at, like you brought up about, like, McDavid or, or Hughes or, like, Austin Matthews, where as soon as they come into the league, they're lighting it up. Kako and Lafreniere haven't done that, and it, you just look at their point totals, and, it, like, it leaves a lot to be desired, of course, yeah, for fans, but, like, I still look at their their play, especially at the start of this year. Lafreniere's looked good with uh, Panarin since Kravtsov got injured in the first game. I think those two should be should be together. I think that's a it's a good combination there. And then going back to your point about Kako, uh, why he dumps the puck in, I just I tend I tend to notice that Ryder's advantage at uh, in adapting uh, adopting that north south style of play. Ryder's a north south player. That's when he's at his best. Uh, as fans, we've noticed that he's at his best when he skates in straight lines instead of going east or west uh, with passes or anything. Um, so I've just notice that they that line as a whole doesn't matter who's on the the right wing they just tend to they dump the puck in a little bit more um one a couple like a couple last questions for you before we wrap this up so for those that are like all about the eye test but want to get into some of the analytics those such as myself that is like what's one stat that is particularly noteworthy other than zone entries and exits what is one stat that's particularly noteworthy or important and is somewhat easy to comprehend. Um, I always go back to the basics. It's looking at how our player does relative to his ice time, whether that's goals, assists, points. Like I want to see, like I know points aren't like the NBL at the end of the day, but I do want to see if like they're producing like at the end of the day when it comes to like what they're doing. So I look at like points per 60 a lot just to see, okay, are they, uh, like, okay, are they producing? Like, is this why they're getting moved up and down the lineup? And if they're not producing, then you can look at what they're doing in terms of, like, controlling play, whether that's looking at shot differential, like, shot percentage, I feel like is fair. I feel like that still has its place because you're looking at what's happening when what's on the ice when they're uh, when they're out there. So a player like Val Nechuskin for years, he struggled to score goals, but he was always very good at controlling play. And then eventually the offense came around for him. So I think kind of using those two together as like a starting point is always good. But like with my data, like the problem with my data is that it's not a complete set all the time because like I have to track all these games and I'm not going to have everything like up to the minute. So, but once you get to a good sample size, like I think looking at, I like looking at like uh, how they're producing offense and whether or not they're producing chances 
So like with my player cards, you see shots, primary shot assists, which is just another word for set of passes. And then below that, you'll see chances and chance assists. So you can look at if a player is producing, if a player is producing a lot of offense, but not getting a lot of reward for it, you can look at chances and see, okay, they're setting up a lot of perimeter shots and not getting a lot of great chances. So there's something they could be doing better. So I think looking at just starting with the basics and kind of weaving the rest in is the way to go. If you're looking to get into more advanced stats. I can't believe I'm about to ask this, but I think, I think Ranger fans are going to kill me for this, but uh, Julian Gauthier got called up uh, before the last game, before last night's game against the Islanders, and he made an immediate impact. And he's a guy that I feel has always had these these just tremendous high danger chances. He's always drawing penalties, but he could never finish. Is he? Does his like like number do his numbers like somewhat compared to like what Nachushkin was at that stage in his career, or is that just a completely albatross comparison? It's it's a little off just because Nachushkin yeah. was an NHL player okay. when he was 18 and he had hip injuries that kind of derailed his development. Gauthier just has, I don't know if he's an NHL or I mean, he was in the league last year for a yeah. fair bit, yeah. right? Yeah, he was a, that was an ex-Carolina first round pick. But with him, there's, I do wonder if he has the hands to kind of finish a lot of those plays or just the patience or the touch set just convert on a lot of the chances he creates because with especially in Charlotte he created a lot of he created a lot of offense like basically in the crease and doing that against NHL goalies is tougher than against AHL goaltenders Mm -hmm. and especially against you have a lot from what I've watched like in the AHL you have a lot more time to kind of finish those plays off whereas like in the NHL you'll have a defenseman just bearing down right on you like within two seconds so it's a it's a stepper learning curve. We had a like Caroline had a similar player, Valentin Zikov, a few years ago, yeah. and he was very similar to Gauthier. He wasn't a great, was not a great skater, but he created he created a lot of offense down low, but he always struggled to finish in the NHL, mm-hmm. and a lot of it just because he creates a lot of a lot of offense in the dirty areas, which usually it leads to more goals, but it doesn't always, it's not always an apples to apples comparison from AHL to NHL, just because the level of competition is so much tougher. And there's not a lot of guys who can kind of beat a goaltender with one shot, like in this, in this league now. Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a tough skill set. Like it's gold when you find it, but it's also basically impossible to find. So if he can learn to kind of be better, like in the doldrums of the game, controlling play and kind of creating off passes using his teammates more, that's kind of where I think he'll take that next step, that next step. Cause that's where, that's where Nachushkin really has improved. Like since he got to Colorado, cause like they've slowly worked him up the lineup, turning him from a four checker to a top sixer and kind of developing chemistry with the uh, top players on that team. And it's just kind of come naturally to him. Whereas with Goche, I'm not sure if uh, with Goche, I'm not sure if he will get there. But I do think he'll be an NHLer at the very least, because like there's always a place for a guy like that if he can learn to if he can learn to like play the NHL way and just kind of settle into his game, even if he's mm-hmm. not going to be a scorer. So sometimes it's not always about just being in that spot to have that that sort of chance like the the high danger chances, lots of breakaways, lots of dips around the defenseman. 
uh, missed breakaway opportunities, stuff like that, odd man rushes. Uh, but if he doesn't have the skills to, you know, finish those chances, then there's probably not a place for him in, in the in the lineup. I'm I'm just assuming that's why he didn't make the team out of at camp and why Kravtsov was there. Um, now he's up because I think Kravtsov's got an upper body injury. But um, I had to throw in Gauthier because a lot of people like to talk about him and that how he uh, he's basically a meme on offense because he <laughs> can't bury any goals. Um, and then same thing from the defensive side is like a uh, Libor Hayek. I uh, can't not mention him when we're talking about analytics. He's just uh, wonderful, isn't he? I don't. <laughs> I don't understand him. I like how t- how tall is he? Because he looks like he looks like he's five foot five whenever he plays, just because he's always hunched over and gives a free pass into the offensive zone all the time. He's, I just he is six foot two. I. I don't believe that. He looks like right. he's under six feet. Right. Like whenever I watch him just from his posture, like I, I noticed him, this was more in the Quinn years though. Like last year, I felt like he, I felt like he was used a lot more, like not necessarily properly, but sparingly last year. It's just sad because like he was once like these players that we were talking about, like Nichushkin, at least he panned out like uh, Zikov and Gauthier and Hayek, they were like, correct me, I don't know, I think Zikov was like a second rounder, wasn't he? Like, he was once yeah. a, a pretty good prospect and among his draft class. I mm-hmm. remember when he was around, this, I think it was 2014 when he was drafted. I remember that name. Hayek was once a highly touted prospect. Like, the Rangers wanted him in that deal for McDonough, and then just to see it, like, all fall apart, fall flat on its face is, is sad, especially for fans, too, because we think we're getting something. Hayek looked promising within his first couple games as a Ranger, gets hurt, and then he's just never the same after that. Um, it's just, uh, it's like unfortunate, um, you know, and some of those guys could never recover. And then, uh, again, a guy like uh, Nichushkin was a, was a proven to be a great asset to, uh, to Colorado. Um, yeah, I, I do wonder if, like, the environment they come up in is also a yeah. thing because, like, Hayek was developing on a Rangers team that was re- that was, like, in full rebuild mode yeah. and playing a lot of minutes too. So I just do wonder if bad habits kind of seep in easier to those types of players. Cause he's not the only player to kind of have to have a promising start to his career and kind of just get it derailed. <laughs> right. I'm, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure there's a lot of, a lot of guys you could, you could name that, that fit that description. Uh, one last question before for you, before we wrap it up, uh, just, Overall thoughts on the Rangers? I don't know how many of the games you've seen. You told me you were watching the, the Sharks game, so that was, what, like maybe four or five games in to the, to the schedule? Uh, that third period collapse in that, in that game was just was completely brutal. Yeah, they've looked okay so far. Like, I think that's the best way to describe it. It's like they've looked fine. Like I think they're going to be in the playoffs like at the end of the day, and I think the rest of the division is kind of – it's a – really good right place right time for them because mm-hmm. washington does not look great to start the year and uh it's like caroline is going to be there philadelphia is rebuilding i don't know if the devils are good yet they're they're just way too much on the high and the low end for me whereas like the rangers i feel like they haven't been just totally dominated in any games i've watched yet so i think that's kind of that's just kind of where i'm at with them the game against Winnipeg was kind of a concerning that was a bit of a wild one but yeah it's been interesting it's been interesting because like I've 
against Tampa Bay and against Minnesota, I felt like they looked like they did last year. And I that Sharks game, I don't really know what exactly happened. I'm surprised they couldn't get they couldn't score in those early two power plays. But San Jose has also been perfect on the penalty kill this year, surprisingly. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. they that's like one thing they've always gotten right in San Jose. Just they they're very good at killing penalties, but. I think they're still working out some of their kinks in the roster. It's like I mentioned earlier, they're they're a team that's so used to kind of having their goaltender bail them out and striking on the counterattack when teams are tired. So I do wonder if there's a bit of a learning curve with being a team that's controlling play a little more, but also having to beat more structured defenses. Because like you might be controlling play, but a team can also stay in their structure and like defend you like in the neutral mm-hmm. zone or the defensive zone and front shots and things like that. So I do think there's a, there might be a bit of a learning curve there, especially with their defensemen. I think that's going to be interesting because like Adam Fox is a unicorn with just how good he is at controlling the points. Yeah. And I think, uh, I think like that's one area I'd like to see Keandre Miller take some improvements in because he's very good at disrupting plays and like using his stick to break up entries and just, putting out fires in the defensive zone. But I, I do want to see him be a little more creative offensively, like on plays that aren't rushes. So I so I think that's like an area I'd like to see him take a step forward. Same with like the Braden Schneiders of the world. And that's that's kind of where I'm expecting. That's where I think they have like the most room to improve. Like how can they be better with end zone offense? Because, like, like I said, they should be scoring more goals eventually. It's just a matter of whether or not they figure they kind of figure out this new way to play that they're kind of in right now. I see. Yeah. So, I mean, it's still pretty early though, too. So it's, exactly. it's hard to get it. It's hard to get a, a gist out of the like a, a good uh, understanding of the the data that you have, right? Because the math's not gonna gonna work out. Like you brought up the Devils. It's like too much high and low. I heard that they were really good at five v five, but I mean. I don't know if they still have those goaltending issues. They, they did make they did make an upgrade, but it's not too significant, I don't think. Yeah, it's I don't know. They play such a back and forth game, and I I think they got better like on the blue line this year, like just getting a guy like Marino to kind of mm-hmm. calm things down a little bit, play less fire wagon hockey. But their goaltending is just brutal there. I don't know if that's gonna. Like, like, I don't know. That's either going to sort itself out or be a problem all season. I don't, mm-hmm. it's not going to be anything. It's not going to be anything like in between there, but I don't know. The devils remind me a lot of when Carolina was starting to get good. And it was just a matter of getting the goaltender, just getting the goaltending situation. Mm-hmm. Right. And Carolina found something with like Peter Morazic, who was one step away from being out of the league. So you never know how this is going to go. Right. Yeah. And I, I think the, I think the the goalie situation is more likely to play out as a as a long term season like full season kind of problem than like where the Rangers problem is like with their defenders. What you said in zone offense. Uh, also, I think like you know a team's the opposing team's got to get their chances somewhere. So I think it's most likely when it's the bottom two lines, forward lines are out there, or or at least when the fourth line is out there because Reeves is on there, and then when the third pair of defenders are are out there, especially if Hayek's there. Yeah, you're yeah. gonna you're gonna be pinned in your zone at some point, especially like when Hayek is out there. That's what I've noticed. Like, you know, you you drop the puck first two shifts. You know, uh, Truba comes out, Fox comes out, and then no puck's not in 
the Rangers end. And then as soon as Hayek steps out there, you send you see at least like five seconds of the Rangers and Rangers. And not not saying that like something bad happens, but it just that's just what happens. You know, yeah. The weakest link. Yeah, and I think that's where I think that's where a guy like Miller was very Miller and Fox are really valuable there just because they can put out fires in the defensive mm-hmm. zone pretty easily. Like like Fox is very good at like stripping the puck and Lindgren's also very good at doing that. Well, Lindgren's very good at just making sure it's not a goal. Like he'll get pinned in a long time, but Fox oh, yeah, is very yeah. good at like, but he's very good at kind of just preventing damage as much as he can. And Fox is the one that springs the rush. And like, that's what Keandre mm-hmm. Miller is really good at too. And Truba, like for all his flaws, he has his moments with creating rush offense. And he's like the one defenseman outside of Fox there that, kind of has a good kind of knows what's doing the offensive zone like shooting for deflections and not just taking the low the, the low percentage shot but um he does do that a lot though i know yeah he does, he does. <laughs> yeah he does i think but he kind of he's better than some of the other guys but i just do wonder if guys like schneider start to get better with that and zach uh zach jones like i i don't really know much about him just because i've been following prospects that much but i think he's supposed to have some high end he's he has some high end skill there that they could pot- yeah. potentially develop. And, uh, but it, yeah, I was against the Sharks, like the game I'm watching now, like how they got their first goal. It was, uh, uh, they were in the defensive zone for a while and Kreider and Heedle were out there. Uh, Shemek fell down. Heedle got behind him and got a rush goal off a two on one. So mm-hmm. there's still a lot of that in them. And it's just a matter of kind of, I think Shesterkin's going to hold up. I don't know if he's going to be like otherworldly as he was last year. That's the other kind of pressing issue there. Because right, if he's yeah. a little worse, I don't know how much worse the team is going to be. But um, but yeah, I think like the defense and goaltending issues are going to hold up. It's just a matter of figuring out kind of how to convert possession to goals when it's not just Panarin creating magic. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's something like Trocek, I think, will help with. But he's very hot but going by what he did in carolina he's very hot and cold because he has games where he had games where his line was like the best on the team and he had lines where his line he had games where his line was the worst on the team too from just wasted Mm -hmm. offense and defensive zone miscues and bad penalty killing so he he's very hot and cold so i think figuring out that Figuring that out is going to be the next step for them. But at the end of the day, I think they're going to be fine. They're going to be in the playoffs. I don't really I don't really know who is good and who's bad in the Metro right now, aside from, well, Pittsburgh's obviously going to be there. And <laughs> Pittsburgh's obviously going to be there. Carolina's looked very good to yeah. start the year, too. And But, yeah, the Rangers should be top three. I, I, I don't see yeah. any reason why they can't. They can't beat Washington and the island. Well, they did lose to the Islanders yesterday. Right. Yeah, I but, don't yeah. know if the Islanders' success is sustainable. Mm-hmm. Like that's just that I, style of plays. I don't know. Yeah, I I don't know. The Islanders they kind of got off to a rough start too, but they won yesterday's game. So we'll see. But, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, they shut the door. Like just the way <laughs> that one played out was um, the way they play in the defensive zone and the way they win against the Rangers is like this is the same exact thing every time. They just box them out, keep everything to the outside. And then, you know, the, the goalie comes up big when he has to, that's it. And then, yeah, you know. but yeah, it's early. So, right. It's like, it's, it's early. And I wouldn't jump to any conclusions. Like that's not what you, you don't do that. Right. Like with, it's with hard. Your data. To do. You're yeah, not it's... going on Twitter saying like, Oh my gosh, look at this. Like, look at all these zone entries. The hurricanes have, they're the best team in the league. 
Yeah, it's very tough. Like Stanley Cup parade, book it. Yeah, it's very tough. Like when, because like I run a subscription based service, and you want data out there, but it's also like, hey, this is like eight games. Like this is one playoff series worth of data here. So like, don't don't like jump to conclusions on it. But Mm -hmm. you're also like, you have to work with something, you know. Like you, you can only go by what you see so far and what's happening so far. Right. And sometimes like a team like Vancouver, that's in a rut right now. Like that's something like, yeah, you can start to panic with them because they haven't won a game and it's almost Halloween, but still you like, you have to kind of go off something. And that's where this time of year is always kind of the most frustrating for people that are into the, for the whole like eye test versus stats debate. Yeah, and also at Vancouver, too, one last note is just, like, they, they had leads in, what was it, first four games, maybe first five games, and they mm-hmm. lost all of them. That's just sad. Like, that's, uh, uh, man, that's a bit unfortunate. That's not the way you want to start a season. I mean, there's no. losing games, but then there's losing every game that you're winning. Is Yeah, they, yeah, just Carolina, we played them, well, they played them earlier this week, and they were, they they hung tough in that game and then Carolina scored two goals in the first minute of the second period and yep. it was over or there it is. period. Yeah. There That's it just is. What happens when you're a bad team? Like, yeah, I, I think, yeah. I, I, and I think, I don't think Vancouver's there yet. They got good players. I love some of their players, but uh, I don't think they're there yet. Um, maybe, maybe with, maybe in the, in a year or two or something. I don't know. Um, but anyways, Corey, Really appreciate you coming on. This, uh, this is great. I learned a lot from you. Uh, go subscribe to uh, all three zones, right? Patreon, right? Is that what you have? Go ahead, plug uh, yourself. Yeah. yeah, so I have a Patreon, but you can go to all3zones.com, which is kind of just the hub for all of my all of my work now. You can get a link to the Patreon there, a link to all the uh, all the charts that I have, all the data that I've posted. I have some free samples of from like past playoff seasons and a few players that I think are interesting. And there's also an FAQ there with all the stats that I track, what they mean, why I track them, which I feel like I need to plug a lot more because people have been asking why I don't have one. And uh, I also write for McKean's Hockey. So once every two weeks, I'm doing a column there. And I haven't decided what I'm writing about next week, but we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Hey, Rangers fans, thank you so much for listening to the Ice Cold Takes podcast this week. Make sure you follow at Ice Cold Takes Pod on Twitter to stay up to date with the latest Rangers info. See you all next week. Time. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay. 